God has called us to engage our community, to engage North America, and to engage the world. And that's why I'm excited about our speaker this morning. Dr. Richard Harris is presently the interim executive director for the Southern South Carolina Baptist Convention. But before that, he served 29 and a half years with the North American Mission Board. He was over mass evangelism, he was over church planning, and he was even the interim executive director of the North American Mission Board. He has pastored churches in Kentucky, he has pastored churches in Texas, he has written numerous articles on evangelism, church planning. This man has extensive experience, but the thing that sticks out to me the most is this. Years and years ago, back in around 1983, he preached a message at the South Carolina Baptist Convention or the South Carolina Evangelism Conference that still sticks into my mind today. It penetrated my mind, it penetrated my heart, and it challenged me with what I needed to do to get the good news that we have an advocate in Jesus Christ. I know that God is going to use him to bless us. I know that God is going to use him to challenge us this morning. So would you help me welcome Dr. Richard Harris? Thank you, Brother Rocky. Thank you, Brother. Well, good morning, Northside. Be turning your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. In a moment, I'll begin reading in verse 13. Well, this settles it. Uh, I'm going to hire Rocky to do my promo as he goes around and just introduce me. He makes me sound important. And I like the way he emphasized years and years and years ago. <laughs> now, you were two at that time, right? Or three or something like that. Well, it's a joy to be with you. I think three or four years ago, I was with you at your other location, and I am so impressed, I've told Brother Rocky this, of uh, this new facility and what you're doing, your emphasis on missions and reaching your community and North America and the world, and so I tip my hat to you. It's an honor for me to serve here in the interim role of the state exec for South Carolina, and I've been here since October 7, and one thing I figured out real quick, Northside has one of the finest pastors in all of South Carolina. Do I have a witness out there? Yeah, yeah I know that's the truth. I just wish I had the energy that Brother Rocky has. Man, I, we start out in the hall, and I take one step, and he's 10 steps ahead of me. I think the man waits in a hurry. What do you think? Uh, wears his pants out from the inside. But Brother Rocky, we appreciate... Uh, what you're doing for the kingdom and uh, how God's using you wonderfully here to touch the ends of the earth. Well, we're going to be talking about partners and purpose. Uh, and then at the end, we're going to give you an invitation time. All of you should have had in your bulletin a decision card there. Uh, instead of taking a nap during my message, would you take time just to keep awake by filling that top part of that card out uh, with your name and all that on it? I'm going to ask every single person to fill it out. And then we will utilize that at the invitation time. Please stand and honor the word. We're in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Let me pause there. Most of us here in Columbia and in America have no real understanding of what it's like to suffer for Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, just this moment around the earth, Christians are losing their lives for their faith and stand in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I suspect, I suspect more people are dying per day, per week, per month, per year right now around the world than any time in the history of Christianity. Don't ever take lightly when it says, if you should suffer. I do believe if time continues, the Lord tarries, that we'll understand some of that suffering right here in America. Sometimes now we're, we're having that with our stand on various issues uh, in the uh, politics out there. But I'm telling you, he said, if you should suffer, what should be your response? Well, if it happens to you, call Brother Rocky and Brother Allen over here and have a little pity party and ask, why is God letting me be treated this way? What's the response according to Scripture? He said, if you should suffer, you are blessed. Get on your knees that you have the privilege to suffer like the Lord Jesus Christ. Read on. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who ask you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Let's remain standing for prayer. Father, thank you for gathering us to worship, and truly we have worshiped this morning. Now, as we continue this worship experience, quiet our hearts and minds from the busy activities of the week and of the world. Help us to hear no voice except the small, still voice of your Holy Spirit speaking to us the message you want us to hear. And Father, when we hear that message, may we respond in obedient faith. Father, don't let one of us leave here the same in which we came. Because we've heard you speak, we've responded in faith. And may all the glory come to Jesus and may advance the church of the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Now lean over the person next to you and say, sit up and listen. You probably need to hear this message. We face some very difficult challenges in our world, specifically right here in North America. The North American Mission Board tells us that there's 258 million people in North America have no personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That number's so big, most of us can't relate. So let me get it down to where you can relate. That means for every four people you encounter anywhere in America, North America, you will have three of them that have no personal relationship. You say, oh, that's up in the Northeast. Oh, that's out on the West Coast. No, no, it's right here in South Carolina. Our staff tells me that we have 3.6 million people in South Carolina that have no personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The need is great. The hour is desperate. The challenges are before us. Nam says there's 587 uh, people groups that need to be reached in North America. Now, to add to this, about uh, 75 to 80%, there's varying numbers being used, of the churches in North America are uh, plateaued or declining. 900 Southern Baptist churches close their doors for the last time every single year. 6,000 of all kinds of churches in North America closed their doors for the last time. I'm telling you, the challenges are great. But each Christian in every church must make some definite choices. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to decide, are we here for a purpose? Are we here for in the plan of God? Or are we just a cosmic accident? A lot of people think, get saved. That's, that's uh, the most important thing you'll ever do. That is true. It is the most important thing you'll ever do. But it's not the end, it is the beginning. 
when God saved you, he didn't zap you onto heaven. He left you here for a purpose. He left you and me here to engage our communities, North America and the world. That's what the essence of the Great Commission is. Go teach, make disciples of what? All nations, most translations. But if you looked at the uh, Greek, ethne, I just want you to know I've been to seminary. Ethne, uh you may have not guessed otherwise. It means all people groups. Teach, baptize, make disciples of all people groups. And that doesn't matter if it's across your street, across this state, across this nation, or across the world. We have that responsibility. God presents all of us with a distinct call on our life. You say, well, I don't know what that call is. Jesus says, follow me and I will what? Make you fishers of men. Now, if you aren't fishing, you aren't following. Jesus said, abide in me and you will what? You will bear much fruit. If you aren't bearing much fruit, you aren't abiding. So that call is upon our lives. Every member of this church is a missionary. And right here in Columbia, South Carolina, this is a mission field. And three out of every four people you encounter in this community in Lexington, in the city of Columbia, or anywhere in this state, three out of four need Jesus Christ. God puts you there, puts me here to engage them. At our staff meetings at the uh, state convention, you asked uh, Wayne Terry, I think he'll come to the second service, one of our associate execs, ask any staff member, On every single agenda, the first item is praise and prayer. Guess what the second item is? Every time we gather, be it a small group or a large group, we did it just last week for the entire staff, it says witness and experiences. Brother Rocky, I tell our staff, if you're going to be here leading missions in this state and evangelism, you ought to be practicing it. So I want to ask them, since the last time we met, who have you shared your faith with? And they never know who I'm going to call out. I often will let them volunteer, but this week, I will use the army style. I'll point my finger at them and I'll say, tell me who you've shared your faith with. We have that responsibility and you have it right here to engage your community. You're doing a marvelous job. I commend you for all those things you have as a goal to fund there in your bulletin. $250,000. That's a chunk of money. Uh, Part of that which will support uh, a missionary to the Iban people. Brother Rocky, God bless you. I think missions is the heart of God. God's called us to join him and be a part of that purpose and that task. You say, well, there's just so many needs. That's exactly right. You saw it there about hunger. You see it there about the need and lostness. I love this quote by Chuck Swindoll. I think is one of the greatest communicators alive today. I have it mounted in my, uh, framed in my office. Here's the quote. We face a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. Isn't that good? We face, we are faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. Well, what are we to do? Well, we are to join God and realize we have a purpose and we're on mission with him. Let me share three key principles with you. Uh, I was having dinner Friday night with a deacon in my son's house where we just joined, and he was introducing me to a man that was president of a ministry there to alcoholics and drug uh, addicts, and it's a fabulous ministry. And as he was introducing me to him, this deacon said this. I'd preached at the church recently. He said, this is Brother Richard Harris. He said, he's an old-style preacher. I believe that was a compliment. I'm taking it as a compliment. If you mean by old-style that I believe the Bible is uh, true without error, if you believe that Jesus lived a sinless life, died 
for our sins, was crucified, buried, rose on the third day, ascended back to the right hand of the Father, make intercession for us, and soon coming back again. If that's old-fashioned, that's me. And I want to say to you, we're going to give you three principles this morning, three principles to help you be a partner with God. First principle, if you're taking notes, write it down, the dedicated preparation for this partnership, the dedicated preparation. In verse 15, look at what it says. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Now, it does not say in your home, set apart Christ as Lord, though you should. It doesn't say in your church, set apart apart Christ as Lord, though you should. It doesn't say in your business, set apart Christ as Lord, though you should. What does it say? In your heart. What's significant about that? If he's Lord, prime minister, president, dictator, ruler, Lord in your heart, he'll be Lord in your home. If he's Lord in your heart, he'll be Lord in your church. If he's Lord in your heart, he'll be Lord in your business. Everything begins and ends, and I would go so far as to say, both for the non-Christian and the Christian with this principle right here. If you don't get this right, the dots will never connect in life. Brother Rocky, I've noticed through the years as I preach on the Lordship, about five minutes into the message, people's eyes sort of glaze over. Now, yeah, preacher, mm -hmm, yeah, I think I'm following you. I get the same response when I preached on being filled with the Spirit, sort of glaze over. Ladies and gentlemen, whatever else lordship means, it means he's ruler, he's boss, he's director, he's president, he's prime minister, he's dictator of your life and my life. He died for us, he gave his all for us, and that means when we get up in the morning, we don't look out the window and say, well, good Lord, it's morning. No, we look out the window and say, good morning, Lord, reporting for duty, sir. What do you want me to do today through these hands and this heart and this mind and these material resources and these talents and spiritual gifts that you've given me? I'm reporting for duty. I am here to say whatever you want me to do to engage my community here in Lexington or in South Carolina, in North America, to the ends of the earth. I'm yours. I think that's what that means. And by the way, if you're living under the lordship of Christ, you're filled with the Spirit. If you're filled with the Spirit, you're living under the lordship. Somebody sometimes say to me, well, I'm filled, but I'm not under the Lordship. No, no, no. If you're filled, you're living under the Lordship. He's, he's directing your life. And so he says, in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Everything relates to that principle. Now, the benefits of the partnership can only be experienced when we're serious about pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ. When you think about trying for a group of people like yourself to come up with $250,000 to support all these mission projects you have listed in your bulletin, that's a pretty big endeavor to engage this community with the gospel. Have you ever thought about the responsibility that you have? One day you and I will stand before the Lord Jesus and he'll say, you lived in Lexington. This is the opportunity I gave to take the gospel to your neighbor, to your coworker, to your schoolmate. What did you do with those opportunities? And he, we're going to give an account of that to the Lord. And this is no small thing. But we won't do it until we get serious about serving the Lord. I, I'm in churches all the time. People say, boy, we're really serious about reaching our community with the gospel. Well, how many did you baptize last year? Well, we, we baptized two. Well, how many did you baptize? We baptized eight. Well, that's better than none. But I'm going to tell you, folks, If this is priority, if this is important to us, it's going to show when we're really, really serious. Uh, I've had the privilege, as Brother Rocky said, leading three pastorates full-time and 26 interims. 
I tell you that to tell you, I'm going to tell you about a true story about a deacon. And I'm telling you so you would never guess who this is. I'm just going to use his first name because I wouldn't want to embarrass him. Isn't it a shame that a preacher has to say this is a true story? <laughs> you know, this is, there's a preacher stories and there's true stories. Y'all evidently know the difference. <clears throat> I was in this church. Sid came to me. Sid is one of the best deacons in the church. He was our treasurer. And he was sobbing. He said, oh, preacher, you got to stop and pray for me. I said, well, Sid, are you all right? He said, oh, I've lost my joy. I've lost my peace. I've lost my happiness. He said, I need you to pray for me. I said, all right, Sid, I'll pray. Let's bow our heads. He said, well, wait a minute. Don't you want to know what my problem is? I said, well, I don't need to know. He said, I want you to know so you can pray more specifically. I said, all right, Sid. And he proceeded to tell me what his problem is. Now, you, when I tell you what his problem was, some of you are going to laugh or say, well, that's no big deal. I do that. My family member does that. I know people who do that. You, do you want to know what his problem was that was robbing him of peace, joy, and happiness? Down in Georgia where I live, this is a yes, I would. No, I wouldn't. Are you with me? Would you like to know? Will you promise not to laugh? You're not going to laugh, are you? You're already grinning, lady. You're already grinning. He said, my problem is smoking. See, I told you, no big deal. Thought he murdered somebody, robbed a bank. No, smoking. You said, I do that, and that's not the end of the world. It's not the greatest sin. The Bible says if the Holy Spirit convicts you of something, you need to get it out of your life. Whether it convicts anybody else, if it convicts you. I have my own personal convictions about that, but he said, it's robbing me of my peace, joy, and happiness. So I prayed for Sid. I I stayed about another six months, never did see Sid get the victory. I guess that says something about my prayer life. I left and uh, got a message from the new pastor. The pastor said they were in the middle of the deacon's meeting, and uh, right in the middle, Sid broke down and started crying, started sobbing. He said, oh, pastor, you got to stop. You got to stop. I can't go on. And he said, well, Sid, what's the problem? He said, you all know my problem. You know how I've been praying for the victory. Would you stop and pray, God, give me the victory? He said, all right, Sid, we'll stop and pray. And the pastor, godly as he was, looked over and he said, will you pray for Sid? Will you pray for Sid? Right around the room. Everyone said yes. He said, let's all get on our knees. Right in the middle of the deacon's meeting, they got on their knees. And then the pastor said, now, Sid, I'm going to lead in the prayer. You pray out loud after me if you can say it and mean it. If you don't mean it, just stop, and we'll not be embarrassed. And so he started out. I'll give you the short version. Dear Lord, dear Lord, you know how I've struggled with this problem. You know how I've struggled with this problem. You know I want, I've lost my joy, peace, and happiness. I've lost my joy, peace, and happiness. You know I want the victory more than anything else. You know I want the victory more for, than anything else. Now, Lord, from this day forward, Lord, from this day forward, if I ever touch another cigarette, if I ever t- touch another cigarette, I want you to strike me dead. Silence. <laughs> Silence. He said, go ahead, Sid, go ahead and pray that prayer. He said, I'm not praying that prayer. He said, I thought you were serious about winning the victory over this problem. He said, I am, but I'm not that serious. Are you listening to me, Northside Baptist? You're serious about engaging your community. You're serious about engaging North America. You're serious about engaging the world. But are you that serious? Are you that serious to give your money? Are you that serious to go? Are you that serious to pray? I'm telling you, folks, it's time we quit playing church games and get down to the business of getting people to Christ while there's still time. You see, that's what we hire Brother Rocky and the staff for. Well, you may hire them to lead you as a church and equip you and train you, But I'm telling you, all of us have a responsibility to proclaim the good news by way of life and by word of mouth. 
Right there's a good place to say amen if you've been looking for one. All of us have that responsibility, but we don't do it unless we have the dedicated preparation. We're serious about doing the second principle. Second principle, the courageous declaration fulfilling God's purpose. The courageous declaration. You see, when we order our lives to God's purpose, God's glory is reflected in our lives to the non-Christian world. They see that something is different. Look at what the rest of verse 15 says. He said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give this reason, to give the reason for the hope that you have. Has anybody recently asked you about the hope that you have in Christ? You said, "I, I don't think that's happened or that doesn't happen very often. Listen to me very carefully. Listen to what Peter says. He said, when you set apart Christ as Lord, people are going to note that he makes a difference. You're living under his lordship. And when he makes such a difference, they're going to see it in your daily lifestyle, in your countenance, in your attitude, in your words. And then when they ask you of the reason that you have, you tell them it's Christ, it's Jesus that's made all the difference in your life. Now, so you say, well, nobody ever asked me about my faith. Well, sit up and listen now. I'm going to say this as kindly as I know how. If somebody doesn't occasionally inquire about the faith that you have in what they see and watch and observe your life, you may be living the life of a hypocrite. That's as, that's as gentle as I know how to say it. Because he's saying, if you live under the Lordship, when they, not if, when they ask you, when they ask you, be ready to give a reason of the hope that you have. You see, the world's looking to Christians for answers to life's questions. I tell the staff, and they begin to, to affirm it back to me in these uh, witness and experiencing times, I've never seen a time that's easier to talk to people about knowing Christ. Now, not churchianity, but Christianity, Christ. And never, and I engage them in restaurants, I engage them everywhere I go, and I'm telling you, they're open. Do I always uh, witness to everybody I meet? No. Do I win every person I talk to? No. But I'm here to tell you that people are interested if we would just tell them. I've noticed this, Brother Rocky, traveling North America for these many years, most lost people are a lot more interested in hearing the gospel than most of us are in telling the gospel. I was to preach in First Baptist Church Roanoke. On a Sunday, they had three morning worship services, a very, very strong church. I'd been traveling everywhere for the board. I was getting in late on Saturday, and I go back, change the clothes, go back to the airport. At earliest, I'm going to get in, it's 1230 or 1 o'clock to the hotel. So I get on the airplane, and I am thought, well, I'm going to look over my message and let the, the scriptures and the truths that God wants me to share tomorrow just rest in my mind. And I thought, well, as I do this, I'll uh, maybe drift off in some sleep, and that'll be the last thing I'm thinking about. Well, I'm back on the exit row where I always sit in my big old frame and legs, and a uh, attendant comes back there, and she says, Mr. Harris, we have a seat up front for you. It's on Saturday night. I think I have 2 million miles on Delta, and, and they bumped me up to first class. There was a seat there, and I sat over by the window, and I thought, boy, this is some nice. If my mother could see me now, I've arrived up here in first class. Well, I'm sitting there again, reading my Bible. I'm about ready to drift off. And then the thought occurred to me, I only see one seat open here next to me. There's no seats back there because as I was leaving, somebody else is coming to take it, and I knew Delta. They're going to fill the seat. And so I thought, now, Lord, I know Delta's going to do this, so I prayed a real spiritual prayer. Lord, whoever this is that's coming here, may they be blind, not speak, and uh, not be talking about much of anything. 
I'm telling you, Lord, I've, I'm whipped. I don't have time to talk to nobody. Real spiritual prayer, right? You see, you didn't pray, pray that. Yes, I did. I'm confessing to you. Boy, I, I'm sitting there. I'm about to doze off. Wouldn't this Bible be one just like it? And about the time I'm nodding, I hear the footsteps coming down around the corner. I found it was a businesswoman from Miami. She came around the corner, and there she had two bags, one in each hand, one on her shoulders, third bag. And she comes back, and she leans over and drops the one in the bag on the seat, two in the floor, literally shook the plane. As she dropped that one, she leaned over, and her nose sort of came over my Bible. And she said to me, you believe she had the audacity to say this? Mister, is that a Bible? Well, yes, ma'am, it is. Do I have some questions for you? Thank you, Jesus. I was just praying you'd send somebody like that. She leaned over and uh, sat down. She said, I was at a business meeting last week, and uh, I'm in real estate business in, in Miami. And she said, uh, one of the workers said that the Bible says so-and-so. Can you tell me if the Bible says that? And I happened to know where the verse was. I turned and read it. She asked me another one. I read that verse. I think it's the third or fourth. I'd read to her. I happened to know the answers to what she was asking. I don't know all the Bible has great truths there, but I did those. She said, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm noticing you're only reading from the New Testament. I said, ma'am, I'm just answering your questions the best I know how. She, I said, what's the problem? She said, I'm Jewish. We don't believe the New Testament. I said, you don't believe the New Testament, but you believe the old. I do. I said, well, if you believe the old, why don't, can't you believe the new? And if you can't believe the new, how do you know you can trust the old? She said, that's a good question. I said, let me read you one more verse. I turned over the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, I didn't come to what? To destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. She said, that doesn't say that. Give me that Bible. And literally jerked it out of my hands. In the love of Jesus, I said, ma'am, right there it is. Read it in black and white. I need to get my heart right that night, didn't I? <laughs> she said, oh, my goodness. It does say that. As we descended into Roanoke that night, Alyssa Rotham was bowing her head and out loud praying, Lord, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for sending Jesus because you love me so much. I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me and come into my heart and be my Savior and my Lord out loud saying, I added a word, Brother Rocky, and be my Messiah. And she said, and be my Messiah. Man, she said, amen. And I congratulated her and told her I'd be praying for her, gave her some information. I was patting myself on the back. Boy, didn't I do good? Didn't I do good? The Holy Spirit says, oh, yeah, who's that guy that prayed? Let her be blind, dumb, and deaf. Uh, folks, you know what? Alyssa Rotham's cross our paths every day. And the Lord puts them there as divine opportunities. And if we just simply be ready to tell them what God's done for us, that's engaging your community. That's engaging North America. That's engaging your world as you go there. To tell them simply what it has, this courageous declaration Whenever they ask you, you be ready to do it. I like what John R. Stott said, the great theologian. He said, was asked, what would it take to reach the entire world? He said, we've got to take the whole gospel, the whole church, preaching the whole gospel to the whole world. I like that. We're to declare this when anybody asks us. But there's a third principle, and that principle is found there in the following verses. He said, now, when they ask you, do it with, uh, be ready to give the answer, the hope you have. But do this, look at it. With gentleness, the last part of verse 15, do it with gentleness and respect. Now, does that seem a little out of place to you? A gentleness and respect. Why would he remind us of that? Well, if you've been a Christian very long, you'll know that some people you're around act like they got a special dose of the Holy Spirit and the knowledge of God that you didn't get. 
They walk up here and the rest of us walk down there. I want to tell you, folks, my Bible says the ground of the cross is level. All of us are sinners saved by grace. They're just saved sinners and lost sinners. And so when we said we give this hope that we have, we remember, but by the grace and mercy of God, we would not be where we are right now. And he said, you share this with gentleness and respect. Every human is created in the image of God. And so if they be in, in, in Lexington here, they'd be in South Carolina, North America, uh, wherever they are. And buddy, they are out there that need the gospel. David Platt, the president of the International Mission Board, says over the years we have placed in international missions about 20,000 missionaries, praise the Lord, through Southern Baptist, 20,000. But he says today we need 20,000 more missionaries to reach the 6,000 people groups. You've selected one of those, Iban people group there in Africa. He says that uh, these 6,000 people groups represent 4 billion plus people. Well, I told you a minute ago about the needs in North America. I didn't tell you about some of the specific needs in North America. Like in Canada, for instance, in uh, Montreal, there you have a part of a people group, the uh, uh, French Canadians. Only one half of 1% on the high number are Christian. They are needing the gospel. They're probably the biggest lost, unbelieving people group in North America. Well, now uh, your North American Mission Board is going there and taking the gospel to reach them. All across Canada, the 35 or 36 million on the good side of only 5% are born again professing believers in Jesus Christ. Uh, Canada has 35 cities of 10,000 or more 10,000 or more that have no evangelistic witness. NAM is going there. One of the churches they've planted there in Montreal is running 750. So there is an openness for people to hear the gospel if we'll tell it. In Alaska, in Alaska, NAM is going there and they're sharing the good news in behalf of you through the mission work that they do. And uh, in Alaska, they have some 56 villages that have no witness and no church at all. Now, with the uh, missionaries going there and the Alaska Baptist Convention is trying to start some new churches where they don't have them. Up until 2012, there's only one or two churches being planted in Alaska per year. Since 2012, Dr. Kevin Ezell says that they have started some 19 in the last two years. So there is work being done. But the needs, look on, in your bulletin there, the number of needs here in South Carolina, North America, and the ends of the earth. What are you going to do about it? What are you, how are you going to be involved in it? But Peter says a true, a true believer is going to know whose they are and who they are. This humble manifestation. A partner in, in purpose will be criticized, he says, by the world. He said, now when they do this, just expect it, they're going to criticize you. I'm telling you, we're hearing this on the news every day, how Christians are being little, belittled, how they've been treated. Ministers down in Houston, ministers up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, uh, people who have bakeries that don't want to serve same-sex couples now, courts ruling against them and saying that's discrimination. I predict, uh, Brother Rocky, in the next five to six years in America, it will be a, a hate crime for preachers to stand in a pulpit and say that homosexuality is a sin. Well, the Bible says it is. Now, it says that uh, there are other things that sin, too. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love them. I'm just telling you, that's where we're headed. And he said, they're going to criticize you. But I, I, in these interims, I'm telling you, there, there's criticism there. The sad problem is 
that uh, so much of what's critical is little old petty stuff. Where you use a keyboard or an organ? Do you use a, a choir or do you use a praise team? Real spiritual issues, you know. Do you use just hymns or courses? My Bible says those that worship God's got to worship Him in spirit and truth. Amen? And whether it's hymns or courses or praise songs or a piano or an organ or a keyboard, as long as you're glorifying the Lord Jesus in spirit and truth, that's biblical and what we ought to be about. Well, how are we going to engage this community? How are we going to engage North America? How are we going to engage the ends of the earth? And by the way, I don't have time to speak to all the wonderful things that you're doing. I mentioned just a few of them. But what are we going to do? Well, we're going to do what God's called us to do, and that's evangelism and missions. And I believe with all my heart, missions is the very heart of God. Whatever else God's about in this world, I believe it's the missions agenda. One reason I believe God's blessing Northside is because you're such a mission-minded church. When you stop doing missions and stop doing evangelism, you watch your numbers go down, you watch your gifts go away, you keep doing what Brother Rocky's led you to do and do it without hesitation. Now, but we got too many members just sitting and soaking. Now, you pull out your card. Right there it is. The moment I'm going to pray... We've talked about a dedicated preparation. We've talked about a courageous declaration. We've talked about a humble manifestation. But now what do you do about it? Well, is Christ directing the purpose of your life? Are you serious about partnering with him? To whom has God sent you? There on that card, you ought to be filling it out. You could pray. Believe in God works through prayer to accomplish his purpose. I will pray faithfully for the Ivan people. Or you could also pray for ministries or missionaries down under that. Now, folks, whatever else, if you're a member here, everybody can do that. You can pray. Some of you can give. Most all of us ought to be giving. You, God's blessed you richly. I wish I had time to talk about what $128 will do to take the gospel to different parts of the world or how it will help our missionaries in North America or overseas. It takes 53000 I think I said that earlier, to fund an international missionary according to IMB. We need to give. And this 250000 ought to be a piece of cake in this affluent community of Lexington, South Carolina, if you all would say, yes, God is leading us to do it. I can't do everything, but I can do this. And you commit to do it. And then you can go. Now, if you haven't heard anything else, I want you to hear me say this. If you've never been on a mission trip in this city or this state or North America or the world, if you've never been, you owe it to yourself to go at least one time. I promise you, I promise you, and if this is not true, I'll come back and get on my knees and apologize to you. If you'll ever go once, you'll never be the same. It'll change your life forever. Go at least once on one of these trips. And there are so many opportunities that you have. Would you please check one of those boxes at bare minimum, if not all of those boxes? Now, I want you to stand. I'm going to lead this in a prayer, and then I'm going to give you a chance to come publicly with your card to share with Brother Rocky and the staff, or with uh, other commitments of salvation, of baptism, church membership, or maybe to do full-time missions. Would you stand, please, as I lead us in prayer, and we consummate this worship experience with a time of commitment, and this is the most important moment of the entire morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for meeting us in power and presence. Now, Father, in these moments, this moments of specifically of decision, May, Father, we do no more and no less than you're calling us to do, be it privately or publicly. Father, give us a vision of the needs of the world. 
remind us of where we used to be without Christ and what we really have in Christ. And may, Father, you ignite a new desire for us to share this with the Alyssa Rothams or the other people of the world that need Christ. Now, Father, change the population of heaven and hell in the number of decisions and the kind of decisions made in this moment in Jesus' name. Amen.